This is the podcast of Theophilus Church. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com. Good evening, Theophilus. How are you? Wow, convincing. Sounds like we're off to a really good, good start this evening. Um, tonight, we are going to go through a passage of Scripture that we just read that honestly, when I first read it a couple days ago, I was pretty bored by it. I, like, I was not really excited about preaching the sermon, but now I come to you very excited about what God will speak to us this evening, because I think that there is a word. Before I get into that, though, just two quick announcements. Um, Be reminded, tomorrow evening at 5.30, we are gathering here for an all-church meeting. Please do your best to rearrange your schedules to be there. We are going to be talking, uh, the, the bulk of the time is going to be talking about Uh, next steps in terms of location uh, for a community. There's been an opportunity to present itself, and we're going to talk about it. Um, For those of you who don't know, this church building is being sold at some point. We don't know when, and so we've been on just kind of keeping eyes and ears open for a possible next step, and there is a possible next step for us. So we'll be talking about that tomorrow night. Um, 5.30, there will be food. 6 o'clock is when the meeting will start uh, sharp. Secondly, you will notice uh, men out there, uh, there's some sign-up sheets. There's a men's retreat in February. We've been invited to partner with another church to join a men's retreat that they are organizing, uh, and they've invited us along. So um, the details are out there on the sign-up sheet. You can come and talk to me if you want some more uh, details, but please join us for that in February. Before we get into this uh, passage tonight, let's just pause have a few moments of quiet, ask the Spirit to show up and to to be the center of our time together. God, you are so good, and you work in really mysterious ways. Tonight, will you you just move among us in mysterious ways? However you want to flow and move and shape us, please do it. This is your church. We are your people. Holy Spirit, speak and move in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight is week two of a seven-week stretch where we're in the season of Epiphany, which is a season where we realize and recognize the Messiahship, or the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. It's all about having an epiphany of recognizing, oh my gosh, he is among us. Our staff has decided that a theme that we're going to be running with for the next, um, or for seven weeks that Lahela kicked us off with last week, is this theme of a new season has begun, and that's pretty apt theme for our community. Um, It was an apt theme for the early church when they recognized that the Messiah, the promised one, is among us. It's inaugurating a new season. And we've been at a church in a year-long transition, and here we are in the new year, and we're looking forward 
putting ourselves in a posture of receptivity to God and recognizing that a new season has begun among us. So that's what we're going to be talking about as a general theme over the next several weeks. Tonight, so the reason I was bored with this passage, right, I didn't really know where to go, it's one of those passages, it comes at the beginning of one of the Gospels, and like whenever you don't know what to read in the Bible, you usually just like flip over, open to one of the Gospels and just start reading it. So it's one of those passages that I've read like a bazillion times, right? And it's just this, okay, John the Baptist comes and, and he says, hey, look at the Lamb of God. And then the Lamb of God comes and Peter and Andrew's like, yeah, that's interesting. Let's follow him. We know that they follow him. And so, okay, that's cool. And Jesus turns around and he just looks at them and he's all socially awkward and goes like, what do you guys want? And they like, uh, they give a socially awkward response, uh, where are you staying, Jesus? And he says, come and you will see, and they go, and that's pretty much the end of the story. So when I was having coffee last week with Andy, he's like, how are you feeling about next week's sermon? And I was like, I, I don't know, it's kind of boring, like I don't really know. And he's like, let me read it. And he reads it, and then he's like, What? this is a gold mine, man. And I'm like, really? What? And he goes, think about that question. I think that this question that Jesus asked, what do you want? I think that's one of the most profound questions in all of the Bible. Just sit on it, chew on it. So I spent a week chewing on this question. What do you want? This awkward question, what do you want? And these disciples, awkward response, where are you staying? And it's that interplay, the question and that response, the awkward question, the awkward response is going to frame the conversation tonight. And if you walk away with anything, I made a commitment to you several weeks ago that I was going to preach one, one point sermons. I don't even have a point tonight. <laughs> the only thing that I want you to walk away with or if you chew on anything, it is that question, and we're going to unpack it, but it is that question that Jesus asks, what do you want? What do you want? Let's dive into this story a little bit deeper. So without just blowing right over it, let's look at this scene with a little bit different, a little bit more intentional eyes. John the Baptist he is announcing, he makes this declaration, he makes it twice. This phrase, the Lamb of God, in the New Testament only appears three times. Two of them are right here. The other one is Paul uses in 1 Corinthians. We'll talk about it in just a second. But John the Baptist makes this announcement, behold, the Lamb of God. Paul uses this, this same metaphor, this same language in 1 Corinthians, and the way in which Paul uses it is he, he associates Jesus as the Lamb of God with the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament in Exodus, where the Israelites, the angel of death was coming over them. They were commanded to kill a lamb, to spread the blood on the doorposts, and those who were obedient to that, the angel of death would come and would pass over their house. And so Paul is making this correlation. This is that. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of the Exodus story. So that is all true, right? And our minds, because we know that metaphor and we were used to it, those of us who have grown up around the Bible, we, we say, okay, yeah, John is making the same correlation. The problem is, is 
John is making an announcement that the Messiah is coming. So we have to crawl into the first century Jewish perspective of what was their expectation of the Messiah. He's making an announcement, this is the Messiah. There was nothing in the ancient, in the Jewish, first century Jewish mind that made a correlation between the Messiah coming to be the sacrificial lamb. That is something that they had to wrap their minds around, that this Messiah who they were expecting to be the liberator, to be the king, to overthrow the powers that held them oppressed, that is what their expectation of the Messiah was going to be. So by John saying, oh, look, the Lamb of God, they weren't going like, oh, yes, we've been waiting for the sacrificial lamb. They were waiting for something far more powerful. However, this idea of this pastoral-like metaphor was not lost on them. One of the most, or if the, the most, one of the most popular psalms in all of the Bible is what? Psalm 23. What is Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. It was a really pronounced Israel had a very, like, this idea of God as their shepherd was a very keen metaphor. It was something that they were very familiar with. That's how they experienced a relationship to God, is God is this great shepherd. We are the sheep. And the great shepherd leads us by still waters, makes us lie down in green pastures, lo, Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any any evil because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. So when John stands up and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, the good shepherd has sent somebody among us to walk the Lamb who is walking forward and going among us. Pay attention to the Lamb that the good shepherd has sent and follow him. This is that. This is the Messiah. Follow him. Now, I lived in North Africa off and on for a good stretch of time, and I got the chance to watch a lot of really awkward little shepherd boys, you know, uh, guide their sheep to the direction that they want to go. Now, if you've ever had an opportunity to be in a culture where there's shepherds, there's something that is actually reversed from our common uh, direction, what am I trying to say? Our common perception of what the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. If you ever watch a shepherd lead the sheep, the shepherd is actually not leading the sheep. The, sheep, the shepherd is not out in front of the sheep going like, come on guys, like, come on, you don't know where to go, right? Where is the shepherd? The shepherd stands behind the sheep. In other words, the sheep know generally where to go. The sheep know where to find water and green land. And the shepherd walks behind the sheep to protect the sheep. Or when the sheep goes this way or that way, the shepherd comes by and offers some correction. 
The shepherd is the one that halts the sheep when they need to stop and say, hey, why don't you lie down by this water? The, the shepherd isn't going in front of the sheep. The shepherd is helping steer the sheep. Now let's apply this to the incarnation or the ministry of Jesus. To me, this is like was originally like this aha moment when I start to analyze the rhythms of Jesus's life. Jesus, as the Lamb of God, is sent among other lambs on this earth, and that lamb is vulnerable. That lamb is susceptible to all of the dangers of this world and this life that you and I are susceptible to. But that lamb knows where to go. And that lamb walks in a specific direction towards specific waters. And yet that lamb experiences the same confusion, the same frustration, the same trials that you and I, the same dangers that you and I experience. And so that lamb, day in and day out, turns back to the shepherd and nestles himself in the shelter of that shepherd who is keeping that lamb safe and leading him behind still waters. It makes so much sense, the life rhythm of Jesus. What do we see? Jesus goes out among people. He's healing people. And then day in and day out, he returns back. He retreats early. He spends time with the good shepherd by nestling himself into the bosom of that shepherd who makes him lie down in green pastures, who restores his soul. There's this inter, this really profound relationship between the lamb and the good shepherd. So John makes this announcement. He says, behold, the lamb of God who is going in a specific direction. He is working in rhythm with the good shepherd. That's the one. That's the Messiah. And now you have two awkward sheep, Peter and Andrew, his brother, who hear this announcement and they get all excited and they start galloping up behind the sheep. And here is Jesus walking in this direction. He hears the gallop of two sheep running in behind him and he turns and he asks the question. He looks at these two sheep and he says, what do you want? Now this isn't like two sheep walking in, this is Andy's metaphor, by the way. This isn't two sheep walking into Starbucks and with a welcome barista behind the table going like, hey, nice to see you today. What can I get you? Do you want a latte with all the stuff? No, this is a soul-piercing question. Jesus, in the moment he meets Peter and Andrew, looks in their eyes, stares deep into their soul, and he says, I know you want this relationship. Tell me what you want out of this relationship. What direction are you wanting to go? Tell me. And they respond, these two sheep have a really awkward response, right? It's like, uh, where do you live, <laughs> Right? I mean, isn't that, like, so awkward? What do you want? Where do you live? <laughs> That's what happens. Now, what I think is really compelling 
about their response and what I actually think is actually quite brilliant about their response. We have to first place it in the context of John 1. John 1 starts out with this philosophical discourse. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This idea of Word, the Greek word for Word, is logos. And it was tapping into this idea of revelation. The Hebrews, the ancient Jews had this idea that the revelation of God was, it was the wisdom of God that enabled somebody to, to, uh, to experience God. And so this idea of this logos, it was tapping into this idea of wisdom. Jesus is the divine wisdom of God, and it is through that wisdom that we can then experience relationship with God. So it's making this correlation between Jesus being wisdom. So if we take that and we look at this question, what do you guys want? And then you look at their response as opposed to saying, uh, uh, where do you live? Is, Jesus, we want to see where you live. Show me where wisdom dwells. Where does wisdom dwell? And it's in that awkward response, this plea, all I want to know, all I want to do is to follow you and to see where that goes. I want to follow you and immerse myself in your wisdom. Jesus is like, good answer. Come and see. And they go back to his house and they stay until four in the afternoon doing who knows what. Jesus responds to people who just says, we just want to know where wisdom dwells. We just want to know where you live. Now, this isn't the only time in the Bible that Jesus, pretty much every time somebody comes up to Jesus in the Bible and says, I want to follow you, I want to follow you, he always breaks them down a little bit. Let's just look at a few. The first one, probably the lowest hanging fruit in Mark 10 and Matthew 19, is the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to follow you? Jesus looks at this man, and he says, you're an accomplished man. Take all of your accomplishments. Take everything that you have. Take them. Put them aside. Give them away. Break it all down. Then come and follow me. He's getting to the core of what has the authority and the control in this person's life. He's asking him to take it to set it aside, follow me. Nicodemus comes up to him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. Not only that, he was in the Sanhedrin. He was the equivalent of a senator. He was somebody who was powerful. He was learned. And he comes to Jesus and says, you're the Messiah, how do I do this thing? And he looks at Nicodemus and he says, you're an accomplished man, a respected man. I want you to enter into your mother's womb again. I want you to start all over. Go all the way back. Be born again. 
Leave your accomplishments, leave your Sanhedrin stuff, leave your Pharisee stuff, leave it at the door. Follow me. Then there's the three men in Luke 9. The first guy comes up to him and says, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And he looks at him and he says, foxes have their holes and birds have their nests, but I'm homeless. You follow me, you're not going to have a home. And the next guy goes, I want to go, I want to go, but, but I got to bury somebody first. And he looks at him and he goes, you can let the dead bury the dead. And the next guy comes up to him and says, I want to go, I want to go, but please let me say goodbye to my family first. Please let me say goodbye to my family. And he says, nobody puts his hand to the plow, starts going, and then looks back. He's basically taking all of our excuses that says, I want to, but I want to, but here's all these expectations. And he says, just take all of it, lay it down, and then you can come and follow me. He's looking for the response of the disciples that says, I don't necessarily want anything out of this. I want to see where you dwell. I want to see where wisdom dwells. And then he goes, ah, that's a sheep I can work with. That's because the sheep, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that sheep knows where it's going. It doesn't got time for all these sheep that's saying like, yeah, but let's go over here. And yeah, like, let's go over here. He's like, no, if you want to be in the company of the Lamb of God, then just take all of your directions, your aspirations, your hopes, lay them down, come and follow me, and then let's write this story together. Let's do this thing together. That is such a powerful invitation, I think. But now, I have, now it has to get a little bit like personal. I, I have to put myself into this story, into the, the shoes of Peter and Andrew, and to ask, what do I do with that soul-piercing question? What do I do? How do I respond to God who looks me in the eyes and says, Cameron, what do you want? How to respond to that question? You know, if I'm honest um, on a personal level, if I'm if God is asking this to me personal level, <laughs> I honestly think my answer would be something to the effect of, um, "You got a little bit of time? <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Um, I I really just want to live a simple life. I'd like to raise my kids to be respectful. I want to serve you." But I also, I also kind of want my needs met. You know, I'm a pastor, and there's not too many pastors that can continue to pastor into their 70s or 80s. So maybe I'd like a retirement that I can survive on. And um, I'd really like to see the world. I like culture and stuff like that. Um, I like vacations uh, when I need them or, or when I want them. And uh, I'd like... I'd like you to use me to solve the world's major problems and stuff. Um, you know, the basics. <laughs> like, and Jesus looks at me and goes like, all, all that's fine. Like, I get it. Like, that's, that's fine. But maybe, maybe you just need to set this kind of aside over here. Come to my house. 
Come to see where I dwell. Take that step with me. Trust me. Know that I'm going to green pastures and calm waters. Just walk with me. How do you respond on a personal level when God looks at you and says, what do you want? What do you want out of this relationship? I think we also have to ask the question from a communal perspective, right? We ask this question, and I, as a pastor, I have to ask this question as like, what do we want as a church, community, the body of Christ? Do we once again ask Jesus how much time he has and then pull out our notebook and say stuff like, I mean, I want a justice-oriented church that is equal parts young and old and, you know, is egalitarian and that is racially diverse. Um, I want it to be a community that vocalizes the needs of the poor and is spirit-filled. I want to be a place where my family can find community and can be known. For that reason, I'd like it to be smaller, maybe a little bit more intimate. I don't really like big church. Um, Do you want me to keep going? Or, like, is that good? (laughs) Or do we do something to the effect of, I just, you know, I want it to be a Bible-believing community that doesn't bend to cultural pressures or norms. And I want it to be a place that is unpolished, unplanned, maybe allows the Spirit to do whatever the Spirit wants to do. I want people to be free to express themselves however they want in a community that is open to interruption from kids or anything else. I want people to lead with conviction, unapologetically with confidence. I want it to be a place where we aren't concerned with offending people but speak the truth. And then we look and ask if God wants us to keep going. All of these things that I just named, I think, are things that I desire in a community. That I have placed at Jesus and saying, these are the ideals, these are the things, this is how we can build a really robust church that is thriving and that is good. And I wonder if Jesus says, like, your list is cool, cool, awesome. What if we simplify it a little bit? What if you just ask, I just want to be where wisdom dwells. I want to see where wisdom dwells. Lay it at my feet. Follow me. The other week, I'm going to be using surfing metaphors a lot because I'm becoming a lot more like okay with my broness and that I love... that I love doing things like that. When I was surfing the other week, I, I was, you know, I was having a bad mood. I shared about it last week a little bit, but I was in the water and I was making really stupid, like elementary mistakes that were prohibiting me from surfing. I wasn't getting in the right spot, so I couldn't catch the wave. I was on it too late and I was burying my nose, and I was catching waves wait, late, and I couldn't get a good ride in because I was too far on the shoulder, and I'm literally on my surfboard, and I'm just like, why have I been doing this for so long, and I continue to make the same mistakes? All I want to do is just enjoy the wave. I just want to surf. Why can't I just surf? 
And I hear Jesus like speak to me on my surfboard and says, Cameron, you can't get out of anything what you haven't put into it. You live in the Northwest for crying out loud. How often do you get out to go surf? I know you want to go do aerials off the lip, but guess what? You're not going to do aerials off the lip unless you throw yourself. If you made that a priority, then maybe at some point, probably not a good idea to go leave your family and just surf all day. We have, anyways, um, it's not the point. The point is you can't get out of something that you haven't been willing to pour yourself into. This is true with all parts of life. True with every part of it, including our spiritual lives. How are we formed into a where you dwell or where wisdom dwells type of community? How, do we, how are we formed into a where wisdom dwells type of a person? Last week, Lahela started us off with this beautiful image of a community that is unified, a unified community that unifies amongst our differences. I believe what she painted was a heavenly-inspired picture of what the community of God, what the kingdom of God is to look like. And I found myself so compelled with like, yes, how do we do that? Like, how do we become a community that honors difference and that presses into hard things and can have hard conversations? These are all things that I want us to live into as a community. And I know from looking in this room, I know that everybody in this room personally is, on, is in this room and in this community because in your heart of hearts, you are Peter and Andrew. You want to run up behind the Messiah and say, I, I just want to follow you. I just want to follow you. I just want to be formed by you. But when Jesus looks back at us and says, okay, but now let's take all of the expectations. Let's take all of your polished directions and hopes and dreams and all of that kind of stuff. Lay it down at my feet and pursue being formed by me. That is a scary, scary invitation. Sometimes I think that I overcomplicate things for myself because I want to be somebody who is wise. I want somebody, I want to see the spirit move among us. I want to see all of these things happen. And yet, I don't take the time in my own life. I don't have time. It feels like I don't have time to turn around and to nestle into the bosom of the good shepherd who leads me by still waters and allow that good shepherd to restore my soul. I don't have time to spend endless hours meditating on scripture. I've been in this community a long time, like nine, ten, and I can't tell you how many times, like, yeah, I just can't, 
And I want to say this with all respect because I've been there and I can, but I just can't like immerse myself in the scriptures because, you know, in, in the past it's been used in these ways and, and all of these things. And so the scriptures, they just don't do it for me. Or like when I'm talking to God, I don't hear anything. And so it just doesn't like, that just doesn't do it for me. But God, I want to be wise. I want to I want to be spiritually mature. I want to do all of these things. And he says, hey, just nestle in me. Calm down. Like, maybe reading through the Bible in a year isn't the, pick one. Pick one verse. Spend the whole year. I don't care. I'll show up with you in that space. But just nestle. Know that I'm the good shepherd. Settle in. Let me massage and nurture and let's find rest. And I think that as we become a community that can do that, a community that is this where wisdom dwells community, and that is our focal point, and we let the Spirit dictate the terms of that relationship, I think we will begin to see the fruit of that Spirit emerge and blossom and spring forth in ways that only the Good Shepherd can actually bring to life. We're not taking our expectations that are going like a shotgun all over here and saying, come on, Let's go, Jesus, we're going. He's like, no, the watering hole's that way. Like, I'm going that way. Just come in line here. Chill out. And I'm going to lead you to some really good places. Man, I think that could be, like, so profound. We have a lot of stuff as a community to talk about. (laughs) We have a lot of stuff. There's a, I don't know if you noticed, but I mean, we're in 2020, it's an election year, that's going to get a little crazy. We got, it's going to be, you know, there's a lot of cultural, like, important things going on in our culture and around the world that demand the kingdom of God response. We should be active in those things. We should be intentional about those things. We should actually talk about those things. I want to be a community that can talk about the problem of racism and gender and sexuality and just problem, just those topics. Evangelism, land stewardship, immigration. These are all things that we should throw on the table as a body of Christ and be able to have conversation about. And yet, if we are a community formed by this expectation and that expectation and this direction and this hope and that dream and all of these types of things, then we're going to go into those conversations and guess what? It's going to look just like that. That sheep goes that way and that sheep goes that way and that sheep goes that way. And we're just going everywhere, right? But if we do the work like a true family, a healthy family that says, what's our orienting thing? What is that thing that draws us together, that pulls us 
in a common direction. And if we as individuals said, you know what, I'm going to be a where wisdom dwells type of person. That's what I want for my life. I want to get rid of the noise and I want to see Jesus. I just want to be where you dwell. And I'm going to present myself to be molded by the Spirit. I'm going to return to the wisdom of the Scripture that you have given to me. I'm going to immerse myself into community because I know I don't live in isolation. I'm going to surrender to these things, these gifts that you have given to me. And I'm going to allow your Spirit to be... Then you and I can look at each other, even though you're different, you think differently than I do, you have a different perspective than I do on certain things, we can look at each other and say, you know what, that person's a where wisdom dwells person, and they look at this different than I do. But I know that that is what your heart desires. I know that that's your focal point, and that's your direction. Guess what? No question is off limits now. We're seeking the same thing. And I have respect for you because you as an individual are seeking that thing and I seek that thing and we're not looking off into the periphery but we're all walking with Jesus to where he lives to saturate ourselves in that and doing that with one accord. And it's when we make that commitment as individuals and as a community to be that type of community that I think the lid comes off and now all of a sudden we not only can we talk about things, but we will actually be a community that starts to live into the Christ convictions. And we are formed by those things. I believe that this year we are going to take steps as a community to being a formed community that is actually active in our world, tangible, practical, profound ways. But it's going to require a community made up of individuals that's saying, yep, I want to practice these things. I'm not going to sit on my surfboard and pout that I'm not like going down the line like I want to go down the line, but I'm saying, I, here's the, here's the thing. In order for me to improve in my surfing, there's only one thing that will get me there. I have to learn to enjoy the process of actually becoming better at surfing. In order for you and I to be formed into the person of Christ, we actually have to learn to love the process of growing in Christ. If we're looking at the process as some legalism or something, and we just, ah, it's too much work. Just like simplify it for me. Because I just, I just want to go here. I don't want to go from here to there. I just want to be there. Well, we all do, right? And Jesus says, like, going from here to there is not a legalistic process. You have to learn to love going with me from here to there. And in that process, you are being formed. We are being formed. We need to finally admit as a community is we can't have wisdom if we don't form relationships with wise people. And learn from generational wisdom. Pass on to us. We can't have unity without acknowledging difference. 
We can't be a community of generosity if we refuse to give. We can't hear the Spirit if we don't ask the Spirit to speak. We can't heal if we don't extend a healing hand. We can't live justly if we'd rather talk about justice than living just lives. We can't be formed unless we practice and fail and learn and fail again and lift each other up when we fail again and practice some more and have permission to fail. We can't be formed unless we learn to love the process of being formed. The, person, the purpose is not surrendering to a miserable existence that is dry and cold and filled with legalism. The goal is learning to move with the power of a loving God who leads us by still waters and green pastures and restores our soul. When we become the sheep who walk that journey, the Lamb of God will lead us to unfathomable places and the good shepherd will journey with us in that. That is, I think, what God wants to call us into. Such a profound question. What do you want? How do we become a where wisdom dwells type of a community? How are we formed into that type of a community? Let's meditate on that throughout this week. Every single week, this is such a, I think this is such a great connection. I always look for ways on like, what is this table? We joke about it sometimes as we say like, sometimes the communion table is just like our church snack. You know, it's what we do at the end. It's like, woo, snack time, yay, right? Um, this is our, this is our watering hole. This is the place where the sheep come week in and week out, where we meet the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the water, uh, of the world, <laughs> of the water. And we come to the watering hole where there is life, where there's green pastures, where we meet the good shepherd. That's why that's where it is in our service. That's why it's the focal point. That's why we come to this table every single week. It's not a ritual. It's not just some whatever. It's our watering hole. It's the thing that unifies us. It's the thing that keeps us focused. We are a community formed by that. And every single week, when you and I are here together, we are nourished together at this watering hole. It's a space that is open for all who are willing to say, I just want to be formed by you. I want to be where you dwell. That's the purpose of that table. If you're serving community, uh, communion this evening, community, if you're serving community. Anyways, uh, you can make your way up, worship team. You can come up. Let's pray as we conclude this evening. <clears throat> God, you are so good. Believe that you long to just lead us by still waters. May we be receptive to that invitation. Thank you for this community, the joy that is present here. Form us, shape us into who you would have us be. In Jesus' name, amen.
You've been listening to the podcast of Theophilus Church. We hope you've been inspired and challenged by what you've heard. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com.